This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Bonnie North. We start out today's show with our monthly segment on entrepreneurship, How Did You Do That? Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keene. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That? a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. Back in 1996, LEDs were not in use at all. The only type of an LED might be for a small little indicator light, and we were trying to light up a whole aircraft inside and outside with this type of technology. Jerry Genduza grew up working in the Waukesha Pharmacy his dad operated for 33 years. He learned about being a business owner and having employees, customers, and a work ethic. So it was no surprise that Jerry had the entrepreneurial itch. The surprise was the industry in which he chose to start his business. Jerry dabbled in home remodeling, resealing floors, and painting during college, then spent a short time as a bank loan officer after graduating. He considered doing pharmaceutical sales, but a job at Franklin-based electronic cable specialists introduced him to the industry in which he'd achieve entrepreneurial success, aviation. Jerry founded MTech in 1996 with a partner, Jim Harasha, who had worked at Hughes Aircraft. MTech pioneered alternative lighting with LEDs on circuit boards at a time when aircraft cabins were still being lit with fluorescent and incandescent bulbs. The company grew sales to more than 100 million and had more than 600 employees. In 2014, it was acquired by BE Aerospace for a high multiple of revenue. Hey, Jerry, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Jerry, you got a finance degree from University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, then started working as a loan officer at a local bank. How long did that job last? So the the banking stint wasn't necessarily a a strong career aspiration for me. It lasted a total of about three months. (laughs) Um, Well, (laughs) where did you go from there? So from there, no, in in all seriousness, my my father had owned and operated pharmacy in Waukesha called Genduza Pharmacy. I had some exposure to pharmaceutical sales, medical sales, and I really wanted to get into the medical field. And there was a small company in Franklin, uh, Wisconsin called ECS, Electronic Cable Specialists. And I had applied for a position that was a sales or business development person at the time working with Marquette Electronics. And ironically, I ended up in their aviation division. And what was your job there? So... My job there was um, a lot of different things. You can imagine you're working in a small business. At the time, the company probably had about 12 employees. So I would do everything from shipping, receiving. I would do inside sales. I would do outside sales, product development, uh, marketing campaigns, uh, I- inventory management, a lot of different tasks for a, for a young person that's just growing into their professional career. Did you like aviation right away? Did you know, like, this is where I want to go? Or were you more into the marketing and sales aspect? You know, a lot of times when people get into aviation, they are going to become a pilot. And I had really no aspirations of becoming a pilot. And by happenstance, I just ended up being in this field. And what I learned about aviation is it's a, it's a vertical market. There's a lot of regulatory compliance. There, there's a lot of things that made it a really interesting, dynamic field to be in. But most importantly, I really became to appreciate a lot of the, the customers that were in that space, dealing with technical s- solutions. If you can think of, you, you get a vessel and you're trying to fly this thing off the ground, 
in and of itself, it's just kind of an interesting space to be in. But you weren't fully committed to aviation. You, you left ECS and went to RF Technologies. They make monitoring equipment for long-term care and infant abduction. But there you met your future partner, Jim Harasha, who'd been at Hughes. How did the two of you start talking about forming a company? When you think of how businesses start, and, and sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, you had these great ideas, you did all these things. So here, I leave the aviation company. I was there for about five years. I got back into the medical space, and the company is called RF Technologies, dealing with um, wander monitoring equipment for uh, residents with dementia, Alzheimer's. And I end up meeting a guy there, and his name is Jim Harash, as you mentioned. And and in talking with him, I find out he's from Hughes Aircraft. In this role, I was the head of the long-term care division. One of my first job responsibilities I had was firing three regional sales managers. So I'm in this young guy. I'm in this company. I'm firing three regional sales managers. I'm wondering, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I working at this business? And where do I go from here? It just wasn't a good fit for me. And ironically, Jim, manufacturing engineer, process engineer, ends up going into the IT world. And I'm head of sales and marketing. And we're implementing a Salesforce CRM package, a customer relations module, and we start to talk because he was upgrading the programming at night to turn over to this new software package. And I used to work late at night. And we just we started to talk about starting up a business. And that those discussions went a little bit further. They went into different ideas. I find out he worked for Hughes Aircraft. He found out I worked more in the commercial aviation space. A couple other people were involved. But from there is really where the genesis of this company started. And what was the original idea for the company? Well, it's interesting. That's such a such a good question. The original idea for the business was a company called International Parts and Supply. And we're creating these business plans. I lived in Wind Lake, Wisconsin, down in my basement, and we were going to distribute military standard parts internationally. The web was just starting up, so it was very difficult for companies internationally to actually obtain U.S.-based parts. And we were going to be a distributor for international military components. For, it, for aviation. For aviation. Yep. And as we went through that plan, number one, it wasn't extremely exciting. The margins were a little bit low. And we ended up stopping. So we, we did a major pivot and, and we came up with some different, different ideas. And realistically, we weren't necessarily the ones that came up with the ideas. Uh, there was a gentleman, and I'll never forget his name. His name's Larry Masters, and he used to work for Gulfstream Aerospace. And Gulfstream produces some of the higher-end aircraft in corporate and private aviation. And he said to me, I think when I was 25 years old, he said, Jerry, if you ever could find a way to replace fluorescent tubes on airplanes, you should do it. And that was two years, three years earlier than that. But that just stuck in the back of my mind. So this was before you started MTech? Before we started MTech, okay. when I had worked in the space, let's say MTech started in 1996. I was in aviation from like 89 to 94. This guy might have told me this in 92, 93. Okay. And it was a couple years later, you and Jim had met and you were batting around ideas in your basement trying to figure out what kind of company to start. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So... How many business plans did you write before you landed on this lighting idea? Well, the lighting idea consisted, it, it, would, it wasn't just lights, it was 
saving weight and having products that lasted longer in airplanes. And the lighting idea was part of that, but the lighting was a completely disruptive technology that took years to actually perfect, develop, and, and, and make profit on. And so during those years, and I'm, I ask these questions because our listeners, I think, are really interested in the details of how all this stuff works, right? So, yeah. So during the years at which you're working to perfect this, presumably you're not selling it, what are you doing for revenue? So that's such a good question. So a lot of times when people start businesses, they, they get venture money or they get a lot of angel money. When we started this business, we had family and friend money. So we had $120,000. We had a $250,000 SBA loan from Waukesha State Bank, and we had an $80,000 line of credit. There was a technology, there was a military specification on a coax cable, and it was called MILC-17. We came up with some alternative products from outside the industry working with different suppliers. We had a product private labeled for us that would pass all the flammability toxicity specifications. That type of a product turned into a product line with its associated connectors, which turned into an opportunity to save weight on airplanes. And that's how we started to cash flow the business while we were developing this disruptive new LED technology for standard lighting. And just appreciate back in 1996, LEDs were not in use at all. The only type of an LED might be for a small little indicator light, and we were trying to light up a whole aircraft inside and outside with this type of technology. But you and Jim didn't have the backgrounds to do that alone. How did you develop that technology? Yeah, and I, I think um, you never have totally the backgrounds, right? You have to figure out a lot of things on your own. There was a guy that we hired who had a PhD in optics, and I never forget his name. His name is Carl Scheibengraber. And... Great name. <laughs> <laughs> That's an unforgettable name for sure. But we gave him a project, and, and the project was as simple as here's some competitive products. There was a company called Aerospace Lighting. There was, a, there was another company called Precision Winding, and they were dealing with fluorescent tubes for private aircraft at the time. And come up with an alternative solution to fluorescent tubes. That was, that was his task. And we looked at fiber optics. And we looked at populating LEDs onto circuit boards. In addition to that, we had a lot of other consultants we had to work with. So we had to cash flow the business. And this was a product, a technology, low-smoke, zero-halogen, polyethylene-based radio frequency products, which now we had specified an aircraft, which was selling, generating cash, good margin, while we're trying to develop a disruptive technology to replace all the types of standard lights that were used on airplanes. So going back before you got that disruptive technology uh, up to speed, um, early on you've told me you got a $100,000 contract. Yeah. And that really got the company going. You were 27 years old. Your partner was working his day job. You were working in your basement. You guys were coordinating at night. How did you make that big of a sale as a 27-year-old out of your basement? Pure luck. And, and really tapping in and, and having a little bit of adventure with the luck. So I'm working out of a basement in Wind Lake. We have this technology for these radio frequency products. This particular aircraft is called a Dash 8 400S. It's being manufactured still today by, um, by Bombardier. At the, to, at the time, it was 
by de Havilland. Mitsubishi Heavy Industries was part of this venture. There was a company called Sexton Avionics that was part of the venture. And there was an engineer that just happened to know me from three, four years earlier. And he called me and said, we have this problem. And I said, I think we potentially have a solution for you. We're using this type of technology. He's like, we're overweight. And, and on an aircraft, if you're overweight by a pound, they put these financial calculations on it. And it's very significant. And we were able to save them over 80 pounds on this one aircraft. But you had to go meet with this big company. Did, you didn't even have a catalog, right? How didn't have a catalog. Didn't have didn't necessarily have all the financing even in place yet, didn't have the marketing material. I bartered a Macintosh computer to, to a young lady who then created a collateral piece of material. Over a weekend, we created part numbers. We created specification sheets. It was the most nerve-wracking day of my life going up and meeting with all of these engineers. So here I'm 27 years old. People aren't going to take, take me serious as being a president or a CEO of a company. We really don't have any customers. So when I'm asked questions as to, well, who are you dealing with or who are you working with? That was my lead in to talk about some of the people in the space, but not necessarily that they were customers. Thankfully, there were no purchasing people in the room because we didn't have a history of having any revenue. And they're specifying our product, our part numbers that we made up over a weekend on a production aircraft that's still being produced today. And you didn't want to call yourself president. So what title did you give so yourself? I, I called myself national account manager. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it seemed more appropriate at the time. So you turned a profit about four years later, and then along came 9-11. Uh, how'd that affect you? What a significant learning experience and, and what a challenge. For me, at that moment, you, you think of things, every, every problem is an unforeseen opportunity. 9-11 happens, now there's different restraints that are put on for cockpit doors. Um, so we started exploring some of those types of opportunities. In fact, we came up with a solution for a reinforcement door on a cockpit um, that Sun Country Airlines bought from us, and then they ended up going out of business. So they weren't fully able to pay the bills. But you have to be able to pivot. You have to be very creative, very innovative, and always be looking for needs as to what's going on in that industry. So 9-11 was really an opportunity for your company. How about the Great Recession in 2007, 2008? How did that So just another, another great learning experience when you're dealing with challenges. That gave me an opportunity. At that time, we were a lot larger of a business, probably about a $60 million company in revenue. But literally, that corner office then turned into sitting out in the middle of the team, figuring out what to do and how to do it. And I just would say that every time there's a problem, it creates opportunities for others, it creates the ability to work together and, and to grow. So what made you decide to sell the company in 2014? So 2014, the, the industry's changed a little bit. There's consolidation. There's, um, we had a couple different things we had to do. So now we're about a $103 million company in revenue. Uh, my partner, Jim Harasha, is 10 years older than me. He potentially wanted to exit. Boeing and Airbus were buying up the vertical markets of customers or suppliers, I should say, that were working with them. And so we had some really tough decisions to make as to how are we going to grow? How are we really going to get a stronger footprint into Boeing and Airbus? Do we want to recapitalize this business or should we look at strategic alternatives? 
So, Jerry, since the sale, you've written a book called Get Unstuck and formed a consulting firm. Tell us what does Get Unstuck mean and what do you consult about? Yeah, so the consulting firm is called Stuck Coaching. And Get Unstuck, you have... We just had a great story, right? So we started started from this basement in 1996, grew primarily organically to over 100 million, sold for multiples of that, um, learned a lot, and and how could we do things efficiently? How how could we do things more effectively? And how could we help other entrepreneurs that are either starting out, or most importantly, they're smaller businesses that have the potential to to scale and don't quite know how. And so this particular company is all about the systematic approach to entrepreneurialism, trying to energize and engage an entrepreneur in ways that perhaps they hadn't been engaged before, but most importantly, getting them to engage staff. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts.